Thanks for joining us this weekend for Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm farm broadcaster Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today, ready to run down the top news from this past week in Indiana and U.S. agriculture with my friends Andy Eubank, C.J. Miller, and meteorologist Ryan Martin. Ryan will have his Indiana farm forecast coming up soon, and Andy will have market analysis in just a few minutes after what was a mostly lower week for the grain markets. Also on today's show, CJ will share the latest update on the Farm Bill with House Ag Committee member Congressman Jim Baird from Indiana, and I'll share an update on a bill moving through the Indiana legislature that would keep Indiana farmland out of the hands of our adversaries. And we lost a titan in the ag industry this week in former USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Andy shares a tribute from an Indiana farmer. Let's begin with some bad news for dicamba users. Earlier this week, a federal judge with the U.S. District Court of Arizona revoked the approval to use dicamba herbicide products on soybeans. CJ now has reaction on that decision from an Indiana ag leader serving in D.C. I suspect we are going to be encouraging all of the agriculture community, not just the soybean sector, but certainly uh, the entire ag community to band together here because this is a process we cannot allow to stand. And that's Chuck Connor, president and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. He's also a native of Benton County. The ruling by a U.S. District Court judge says that the EPA violated the public input requirement from the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act before giving its approval for the use of dicamba herbicides. Well, this is a significant ruling, and it's uh, part of a, a more fundamental problem we have had in the last decade where the courts have had just too much to say about the regulatory process of the government of the United States. And whether it's EPA or FDA or whatever the case has been, the courts have really sort of taken over from where the experts are. Connor says the timing of the judge's decision is most problematic. I am just uh, returning from a trip to Alabama with some ag retailers down in that region. And of course, planting season is upon them. And they, you know, are literally ready to roll out the door using dicamba product that has uh, been in their warehouses. The timing of this could not be worse uh, for them in addition to the cost of that inventory and the fact that now farmers may well have to find something else to use. And it's not clear at all what that product will be and what the cost of it will be. He adds that there will likely be a stay of the decision during the appeals process which would still allow for the use of dicamba herbicides. That's what we're going to be encouraging. I know there is already a letter circulating among members of Congress to the Environmental Protection Agency encouraging uh, the agency itself to seek that stay, which uh, you know would have far more credibility uh, if that were the case. So this fight is not over. You can hear my full conversation with Chuck Connor at HoosierAgToday.com and the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. I'm C.J. Miller. All right, C.J., thanks. From D.C. now to Indianapolis, where traditional bacon, candied bacon, Nashville hot bacon, beef bacon, and more led legislators and their staff to the third floor of the Indiana State House Monday as farmer leaders and staff with the Indiana Corn Growers Association and the Indiana Soybean Alliance's Membership and Policy Committee discussed hot ag topics at the annual Bacon Bar and Brunch. We use the bacon to entice folks in, but uh, the real value here is to have farmers meeting with their legislators, talking about the bills that are important to them, and just really just talking through some of the issues surrounding the industry. That's Steve Howell, Senior Director of Industry Affairs for Indiana Corn and Soy. One hot topic discussed at the event was House Bill 1315, 
which would provide tax credits for the sale of higher ethanol blends, the sale of blended biodiesel or renewable diesel, and the blending of biodiesel or renewable diesel. Howell says other states have similar legislation. Indiana kind of lags behind that. We, we don't see a lot of support there. It's a tremendous market for, for corn with the 15 ethanol plants, and it's an important market for soybean with the largest integrated soybean diesel processing facility based right here in Indiana. That bill received a hearing last week in the House Ag and Rural Affairs Committee. Since this year is not a budget year for the General Assembly, that bill won't move forward this year. But Howell says the hearing went well and laid the groundwork to potentially pass the bill next year. Several legislators told Hatt at the event that this is one they look forward to each year. Indiana Senate Republican Jeff Rotz from the 27th District says the bacon got him out of bed early Monday. This is a, a great opportunity for them to come and share uh, the things that are plaguing them, the questions that they have, what's happening in the State House as of this at this point in time during the session, where's AG at, are there bills that are there for or against, and so they got opportunity to share back and forth. Uh, and, and that's the right dialogue to have. And uh, you can't help but love the concept that they bribe us with bacon to get us to have conversation with them, yeah. Hear the full hat interview with Steve Howell and read about other statehouse priorities from the corn and soy policy organizations at HoosierAgToday.com. It's one of my favorite days of the year, Super Bowl Sunday. And no, I'm not a 49ers fan, a Chiefs fan, nor am I a so-called Swifty. Me, I'm a fan of the food. I'll have my fair share of chicken wings this weekend, and Tom Super with the National Chicken Council says plenty of other people will too. We are projecting Americans will devour about 1.45 billion chicken wings this weekend for Super Bowl 58. That is a billion with a B. Now for me, it's buffalo sauce on those bone-in wings that I can then dip in some ranch. Super has the stats on what's most popular. In terms of dipping sauces, barbecue in our last consumer survey came out number one, followed by ranch, and buffalo uh, hot sauce was third. And then a slight edge to bone-in traditional wings other than the boneless wings out there. 1.45 billion is a big number, but Super says... It certainly could have been bigger. USDA is projecting that last year's pounds and number of birds are pretty much flat compared to a year ago. And the reason that there wasn't an increase were feed costs relatively high, continued labor challenges. And, you know, even though demand is up, people would eat more wings if they were available, but they're just not there. So it's flat compared to last year. And after all that, now I'm hungry. I'm going to take a break, throw things over to Andy Eubank. Let's talk markets while I go get some food. Andy? Always about the food, isn't it? And I'm not buying for a second that it's because of that wing story. The markets on Friday did sell off. And we'll have the settlements coming up. First, market analysis. I got that from Brian Basting on Friday. Brian, let's first take a look back at the USDA supply and demand update. That came out at noon Eastern on Thursday. In the end, maybe not a major market mover, but what stuck out to you most of all from Thursday? Well, as you said, Andy, it wasn't a real major market mover. We did see soybean exports from the U.S. lowered by 35 million bushel. Uh, from what it was in January. A lot of that, I think, Andy, is linked to the fact that USDA did increase Brazil's crop from last year, the crop they harvested last spring, by 2 million tons. And that, that goes a long way towards explaining why 
Brazil was able to export as long as they have been from that crop and obviously displace U.S. bushels. Uh, so that, that was probably the biggest news. Um, they did lower the Brazilian bean crop from this year, but very conservative, only by, by a million tons, I believe, and did not change Argentina. So many believe that our, Brazil's crop is smaller than what USDA said yesterday, but a lot of people believe that Argentina's might be a bit bigger. So bottom line is that we've still got competition in the bean market, and that did pressure bean price initially on Thursday. They did bounce back at the end a little bit. Corn was all over the place on Thursday, was initially lower, then came back and nudged a little higher and ended up being a little lower. Not much change in corn, Andy. They, they did lower the food use here in the U.S. by 10 million bushel. That was the only change. Brian Basting, market analysis. Brian is with Advanced Trading. His phone number, 309-664-2314. On the Hat Friday market review, final numbers, March corn ends at 429, losing another four and a quarter. May, 441 and a half, down three and a half cents on the day. And July, 450 and three quarters, off three and a quarter. A dime down on the March beans, 1183 and a half. May, 1190 even, losing nine and three quarters again for March wheat of eight and a quarter going to 596 and three quarters April live cattle up 15 cents 186.72 and April lean hogs ended the week at 81.15 a gain of 80 cents you're up to date now on the markets much more still to come on the weekend show I'm Andy Eubank. This is Hoosier Ag This Week. In Indiana there isn't a country road county highway or interstate where you don't pass a farm I'm Bruce Kettler, President and CEO of the Agribusiness Council of Indiana. Those of us involved in agribusiness understand the importance of our industry. ACI exists to advocate for the needs of our members and the whole of Indiana agribusiness at the State House and beyond. We hope you'll join us. Visit our website, inagribiz.org, to get your membership started today. The Agribusiness Council of Indiana, strengthening and connecting Indiana agribusiness. Back to reality a little bit here across the Hoosier State over the weekend. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Weekend Weather Outlook. As we take a look at the setup here, again, we were floating pretty high here over this past week with temperatures well above normal. The last several days of the week, Thursday, Friday, flirting with 60 degrees. Uh, those were April temperatures, not mid-February temperatures. So uh, we were getting a bonus spring here. Now we're back to reality a little bit. Cooler air trying to come down from the north and northwest. Now, to be clear, it is cooler. Well, anything would be cooler than April temperatures in February right now, but it's not brutally cold. Some of us are still fresh in our minds having to deal with that bitter cold Arctic air that was in here mid-January. That's not coming back. Temperatures are pulling back down into the 30s and 40s generally. I think we're doing it with mostly dry conditions for the weekend. Uh, we're going to be dealing with a few lingering showers, rain showers still here this morning, and then we just deal with clouds for most of the rest of your Saturday. Sunday turns out partly sunny in most areas, clouds increasing, especially in southern Indiana late. There is a massive system, massive low that's passing by mostly to the south to start the work week. This low tracks through the lower 
Mississippi Valley, uh, Mississippi itself, Alabama, so on and so forth. But the northern edge of this circulation is going to drag across the Ohio Valley. And so clouds thicken southern Indiana first. And we're going to be seeing some on again, off again, rain shower activity there. But I think through Monday, we're going to have to deal with some scattered moisture all the way up maybe into northeast Indiana and draw a line from oh Decatur down to Terre Haute south of that line is where we see the best activity and then north of that line we probably see a lot of clouds but maybe not much moisture moving forward then we clear out a little bit on Tuesday as much as we can with cold air trying to take control but we're going to be chilly and Wednesday we see another round of cloud cover coming in in the afternoon and evening that round of cloud cover can bring a few light snow flurries or a few cold raindrops moisture not big but it is going to be signaling another change in air mass. That change in air mass is on the way for Thursday as cold Canadian high pressure tries to dive down and take control. Another clipper system for Friday into Saturday reinforces that cold air. So we're going to be quite chilly for Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'll throw Sunday the 18th in there as well. But on the backside of this strong Canadian high, what do we see? That's right, south flow coming up the Great Plains already Sunday, midday, and afternoon. That, I think, is going to signal a warming trend for us as we move into the week of the 19th. So look for temperatures to get back above normal pretty easily. Maybe not April-like temperatures like we just got done with the past two days, but warming for sure. I'm Ryan Martin. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th. A week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA President Amara Jackson from Michigan. What better way to show your support of FFA members than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. One of the nation's top leaders in agriculture passed away earlier this week. Bill Northey, a former USDA undersecretary and current CEO of the Iowa Association of Agribusiness, died unexpectedly Monday at the age of 64. Tributes to Northey have poured in from his many friends in agriculture, including those from here in Indiana. Andy Eubank has more. One of those friends is Indiana's Don Vilwalk, who said the 64-year-old Iowa farm boy had changed the world. Vilwalk says Northey made an impact on both personal and professional levels. He was just such a common sense leader that could hold conversations with ag leaders from all around the world. And more importantly, what he liked the most was visiting with farmers all around the world and he was just much beloved and had a lot of common sense and when really could bring some people in good honest discussions together to try to find better solutions to many of these problems that face us in agriculture. Vilwalk says he was the best farmer policy wonk he ever knew. He understood the economics of the uh, challenges of farm policy but just as importantly, he understood the politics of why things would or wouldn't happen or what needed to happen so uh, something could move forward. Although his heritage and his appointment was by a Republican, 
about all that uh, dealt with Bill North, he would say he was nonpartisan or bipartisan. His party was agriculture, and that was most important to him. Bill Northey also made an impact on the people he met one at a time. He just made everyone feel like you were the most important person in the room. And uh, he'd work a room, and everybody would just light up, and he had that ability to uh, just really uh, engage with folks. Uh, you get a note from him out of the blue and said, I saw something, and thought you might be interested, or in our case, well, I see Indiana's doing that. Well, congratulations. That's, that's a good program. And as busy as he's, he was and as much as he had on his plate, Bill Northey always had time to visit and, and to counsel and, in my case, mentor, which I truly appreciated. Northey was past president and chairman of the National Corn Growers Association, was Iowa's Secretary of Agriculture from 2007 until 2018, and served at USDA from 2018 until 2021. Vilwalk is past president of Indiana Farm Bureau. I'm Andy Eubank. While it's been more than four months since Congress voted to extend the previous farm bill by one year, Many are asking when your lawmakers in Washington will be introducing a new farm bill. During the Purdue Ag Alumni Fish Fry last Saturday in Lafayette, I spoke with Indiana's 4th District Congressman Jim Baird, who serves on the House Ag Committee. And Baird told me that he and other lawmakers on the committee are pushing to introduce a new farm bill over the next few months. We have assurances from our speaker, our new speaker, and I like him, uh, Mike Johnson. And, uh, and then the chairman of the Ag Committee, G.T. Thompson, that we're really shoving for that March date. And so we recognize how important it is, particularly the crop insurance and uh, conservation practices. There's several of us on the committee that understand, so we're going to work toward that. Whether that new farm bill is going to include additional funding for ag research for land-grant universities such as Purdue, Baird emphatically said... Yes, and you know, I'm chairman of the subcommittee on conservation research and technology, and so I'm going to be uh, definitely pushing for more research dollars. And the other thing is that for us to stay competitive around the world and against some of our adversaries like the Chinese Communist Party, we need that research. We need to lead, lead the way. So definitely research is the important part. A few weeks ago, six House Republicans wrote a letter to the House Ag Chairman, all saying they were strongly opposed to raising reference prices in the next farm bill. You know, all of those people are my colleagues, and I know them. Uh, Carol Miller from West Virginia, Alex Mooney from West Virginia. And so we just need to talk about it, and I can talk to every one of them. And so I think they need assurances that we're not adding to the overall cost of government. That's a concern for all of us, including me. And so I think they're just expressing that. But my point in that issue is there's a lot of other things like Green New Deal and so on where we could go find dollars to make sure we support the farmers and ranchers uh, with the programs that come out of out of the farm bill. You can hear my full conversation with Congressman Baird during the Purdue Ag Alumni Fish Fry at HoosierAgToday.com. And speaking of the fish fry last weekend, Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch was also there and spoke during the event. 
Our Eric Pfeiffer had the chance to catch up with her. You brought some things up there on stage one, the partnership with Purdue on trying to get this broadband thing moving forward. I know that there's been tremendous efforts uh, from the governor, from yourself, in moving broadband efforts forward in the state. Where do we stand currently? Well, we have to date awarded $249 million of state money. And when that is fully deployed, that will connect 75,000 Hoosier families and businesses. But we're also preparing for that $868 million of federal money that is going to be coming to the state this year. So we are finalizing our strategic plan on how we're going to deploy that money and how we're going to deploy broadband with those funds throughout Indiana. And when we submit that to the federal government, then we'll be receiving money and we'll just continue to move forward and totally committed. It will be a priority until we get every Hoosier connected to the last mile. You can hear more from Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch during last weekend's Purdue Ag Alumni Fish Fry at HoosierAgToday.com. A tax relief package recently passed in the U.S. House and now heads to the U.S. Senate for consideration. Dustin Shearer with American Farm Bureau says the legislation includes provisions that could have a positive impact on Indiana's farmers and ag businesses. The biggest of which is 100% expensing or bonus depreciation, which allows you to immediately write off investments into your business when you purchase equipment or build infrastructure. It's probably one of the most pro-growth policies that we can put in the tax code, and farmers lost the ability to buy new equipment under 1031 like-kind exchanges in the 2017 tax reform. Read more at HoosierAgToday.com and coming up next on Hoosier Ag This Week, an update on the status of a bill in the state legislature that would prohibit the sale of Indiana's farmland to China, Russia, and other adversarial countries. And you'll hear from the CEO of Maple Leaf Farms in Kosciuszko County about Indiana's number one ranking in the U.S. for duck production. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and this is Hoosier Ag This Week. The High Ground Podcast. Everything from energy and fuel. It's a Memorial Day weekend, going to be 87 to 89, maybe low 90s all weekend. So we thought we'd bring Scott Heine in. We'll talk about home heat. <laughs> to agriculture. Anytime we can help a farmer grow their business and meet their goals, that's a proud moment for me. And, well, other things. For some reason, like and subscribe. We don't know why, but that's important. We want you to do it on your own, but we're going to tell you. <laughs> Listen now on all platforms. It's like fertilizer for your brain. Every weekday morning, the Hoosier Ag Today email newsletter arrives in your inbox with the latest farm news, markets, and weather information. The kind of stuff you're going to need that day. So make sure you're feeding your brain with this free, easy to read, and important input. Sign up for the Hoosier Ag Today email newsletter at HoosierAgToday.com and the Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. Thank you again for joining us here this weekend on Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and your lawmakers in the Indiana General Assembly are about halfway done with their legislative session. Eric Pfeiffer shares an update now from the State House on an important bill that relates to the ag industry. It's been a relatively quiet legislative session for agriculture in this lighter, non-budget year for the General Assembly. But there is one bill that would prevent foreign ownership or leasing of Indiana agricultural land by our adversaries that has caught the attention of ag stakeholders throughout the state. 
including many members of the Indiana congressional delegation in D.C. and Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch. We want China and our adversaries to buy our farm crops. Well, we sure don't want them to buy our farmland because it's about national security. It's about food security. House Bill 1183 was authored by Indiana Representative Kendall Culp, a farmer from Rensselaer representing House District 16. Culp says the bill has tremendous support, not just from the lieutenant governor and those in D.C. It passed the House unanimously, so all Republicans, Democrats all voted together. And I sent the bill to Senator Lysing, the Senate Ag Chair. I would expect it's going to have similar support in the in the Senate. Um, I would have no reason to believe that it wouldn't. I don't know why um, it wouldn't have the support of the governor once it gets to his desk as well. Culp is getting some pushback on the bill, but he's holding his ground. Right now, there are foreign agricultural interests looking to come to Indiana, looking to develop and to buy farmland here. So I'm getting pressure from some of those individuals um, that says, well, you know, this is good for agriculture, which it could be good for economic development for our county, which it probably is, we need to make an exception. But where does that exception stop? Because there will always be another company wanting to come and wanting to come. And my thought is, if it's that good for agriculture in Indiana and the U.S., why don't we have some U.S. firms that are wanting to start this industry as well or to invest in that? And I think that that's a good possibility that could happen. Culp explains more details of the bill and other agriculture-related bills in the full hat interview. You can find it at HoosierAgToday.com. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. And when it comes to Indiana agriculture, you might think of corn, soybeans, wheat, pork, beef, and dairy. But did you know that Indiana is number one in the U.S. for duck production? And that's because the state is known for a number of different commercial duck farms, including maple leaf farms in Kosciuszko County. Scott Tucker is the CEO of Maple Leaf Farms, and he says one of the reasons Indiana is the top spot for duck production is due to Indiana's corn and soybean producers who provide the grains that become high-quality feed for Maple Leaf's ducks. We're so grateful for their efficiency, their abilities to produce the tremendous amount of grains uh, and oil seeds that we need to be successful because we put great pride into looking at testing and ensuring the quality of those feed ingredients because we ultimately know that, if you will, what goes into that duck is what you as a consumer ultimately experience from a quality and taste perspective. So very, very important. We're very appreciative of, of Hoosier Farmers for that. Scott says that many of the products from Maple Leaf Farms are shipped overseas to Asian markets. In China alone, they consume 4 billion ducks a year. Knowing that, we knew we had opportunities for export to a number of those Asian markets, Japan, Korea, China in particular. And we continue to do business with those uh, countries, whether it's the actual whole or, or certain parts, but also the, the byproducts, which are a much more affordable protein source for those countries. And speaking of the duck byproducts, Zach Tucker, who's the Director of Sustainability and Corporate Social Responsibility with Maple Leaf Farms, says that the duck's feathers also provide revenue for the company. We have uh, several subsidiaries, uh, Eurasia Feather Co. and Down Incorporated up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, who are high-end down product producers, so pillows, down comforters, you name it in that regard, as well as uh, brokering of, of feathers from all over the world. Uh, it's a really great opportunity to provide this great product that 
helps people sleep at the end of the day, right, and, and provides warmth. And not only does CEO Scott Tucker refer to Maple Leaf Farms as a family business, he also considers those who work for Maple Leaf Farms as a part of what makes up the company's family culture. We've had multiple people that have worked for us for 50 years, and we're very proud of that because without the people that are in it, not the people that have supported us for all those years, uh, you know, we wouldn't be where we're at, and we're, we're, just, we're just very grateful for that. And you can hear more of my conversation with Scott Tucker and Zach Tucker with Maple Leaf Farms, which is based out of Kosciuszko County in northern Indiana. You can find it at HoosierAgToday.com. And that wraps up this week's edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. Thank you so much for joining us here this weekend. If you missed any part of today's show, you can download the podcast version at HoosierAgToday.com. Don't forget to also download the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. It's a free download for iPhone and Android. And you can find those links as well at HoosierAgToday.com. For Eric Pfeiffer, Andy Eubank, Sabrina Halverson, and Hoosier Ag Today Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin, I'm C.J. Miller, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.